Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have Melanie Avalon. She is a sag after actress, but also the author of What, When, Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. So, hi, welcome to the podcast. We want to talk about this. <laughs> Thank you, Al. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. What a fun book, and you have a really interesting story. Before we get into the wine part of this, which is a very catchy thing to put on your book for the wine drinkers out there who are really excited, um, tell us about how did you even, I mean, you're an actress like me, I'm sure doing a million things. How did health happen? Where did that even come into your life? Yeah, I love how similar we are with that, with the whole entertainment industry and then the health aspect that just kind of <laughs> comes out of nowhere, it seems. But um, as you're probably familiar, so in like college, um, I was always trying so many different diets to lose weight. So I tried all the fats. I tried well, calorie counting, which everybody does calorie counting. I tried like the cookie diet. I tried thermogenics. I mean, I just tried so many things and it was all to maintain a certain figure for my acting career and to just feel good about how I looked, but nothing ever really seemed to work. And it actually wasn't until I tried a, a low carb approach in my, in my slew of things I was trying and that was the first thing that actually made me not only lose weight, but feel different from a health perspective as well. Like up until that point, it was all about weight loss. But then all of a sudden I started having more energy, my skin started improving. And, and that was just, that was just from cutting out basically grains and sugar. And from that point on, I realized, oh, there's like, there's a science to this. There's something going on here. So I started doing all the research and just really looking into things. And it just catapulted me into this journey of health and wellness and just realizing how foods make you feel. And um, I can go into detail from there. But basically, after that, I picked up intermittent fasting and then I adopted paleo. And then finally, I uh, I tackled the whole wine aspect. So that's that's the long story short. Right. It's like got to come all the way around back to how to fit the vice in. Yeah. I know. I know. Because that's, that's the thing. I, I thought it was a vice, but then I did all this research and I realized, you know, maybe there's a place for that in a healthy diet. Sure. And if you can handle it that wise, another thing, absolutely. I mean, even Dr. Forsman on my book should, says, you know, two glasses of wine a night for a woman is perfectly fine as long as it's right for you, you know? Um, but before we get into that, I'd love to... Um, so when you first went low carb, you just cut out grains and sugar. But was that because, and, and did you even know at that time, like what your, like how low carb were you, or were you just cutting out the crappy carbs and it started with skin clearing up? I mean, at what point were you like, oh, this is like kind of my threshold, right? Because you can still kind of over carb it with fruit and other things that aren't necessarily grains and sugar, right? Well, I mean, that would be sugar, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so, so where did you start to go? Hmm. You know? Yeah, that is so true. So when I first started, like you said, I just cut out grains and sugar. I was still having processed foods and all the like low carb goodies. Um, and then, then I went super low carb. Like <laughs> they would actually mark down the rotisserie chickens at the, the grocery store by where I lived every night at like 11 PM and I had night classes. So it worked really well. I would, I would do my night classes and then I would go and I would get basically an entire rotisserie chicken and eat it with, this sounds crazy, but eat that with coconut oil. And I, that I, sounds awesome. I know I basically <laughs> did that for about, I mean, probably six months. I mean, it was a, it was a very interesting time. So I, I have been super duper low carb, but this was before, uh, paleo and, and all those things. So I actually now eat a whole foods diet. I've cut out the processed foods and I actually do uh, much more carbs now in the form of mostly like fruits and stuff because I, um, I find those work best. We used we were speaking about the gut. I found those work best with my, my personal digestion, which can be a little wonky at times. So, 
So what led you down? Like what, what led you into paleo? You're sort of already kind of in the no grains, no sugar thing. That must've been weird at that time. If paleo wasn't around where people are like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. So paleo wasn't, yeah, it wasn't really a thing. Um, so I actually did. So I was low carb first and then I tried the intermittent fasting. That was actually the next thing I did that before paleo. And I'll speak briefly about that. Um, I basically read this blog post online that said, Hey, if you eat one meal per day, you can lose weight. And there were all these comments from all of these readers and, um, online people saying how amazing it was. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try this for like a week. I mean, it sounded crazy to, um, to not eat during the day that, that, that was crazy for people. So, but I decided to try it for a week and I never stopped. And that was about that. I don't know, six or seven years ago, but paleo started once I graduated and I, I'm trying to remember, I know how it came up. Um, so one of my friends who actually was my one friend who did the, the crazy eat one meal per day thing with me one day he was like, Hey, have you heard about this whole paleo thing? And I had heard about it briefly because this was, this was when it was kind of sort of becoming a thing, but not really. And I didn't really see the purpose in trying it at first because I was thinking, well, I'm already low carb. I'm already eating, doing intermittent fasting. I have health benefits from that. How much difference can cutting out like the processed foods? Um, and then few the, the other paleo things people cut out, minimize uh, like dairy and um, legumes and things like that. How much of a difference can that really make? But I decided again, try it for a week. And <laughs> it's funny how that happens. Never stopped. So, you know, let's get into the IF stuff. So I'm with you on this, um, but I have a couple of questions. So, you know, oftentimes when people are seriously keto for the long run, they're usually only eating one meal a day as well. And they have to make sure they eat enough in that meal is, you know, too, because of keto suppressing appetite. Um, uh, I am a kind of a proponent of a four hour eating window being the best for me, um, in general. Um, how does your one meal, is your one meal a little bit lengthy or is it just like you're sitting down, you complete it within the hour and that is it? Or do you have like a window that's just considered, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh no, I know what you're saying. (laughs) Wait. So for your four hours, do you do it mostly during the day or do you do it at night or? Well, you know, it's funny. I used to be like a big dinner eater person, um, Mm -hmm. where I would sort of maybe have a little something during the day, but then maybe eat a big meal in the evening. But I actually really prefer, I don't know the, the way things, you know, and they change, right. They change in ebb and flow. But if I had my way, I would be eating sometime between, Two two thirty three and six, like somewhere, you know, somewhere in that arena. Sometimes it could be one to four, one to five, but like in that arena, sometimes I might not get back, or I can I can last until you know a long time. But I, I think that that's like, yeah, if I could three thirty is like my jam for starting to eat, <laughs> for starting to eat. Sometimes like eat eat, I, and again, I may have like a cup of bone broth or coffee with a little fat, but really I'm not eating anything and sometimes fully fasting. So I'm just wondering where it is for you right now. Mine's a little fluid, but what I can tell you is I eating more than a window like that, even more than six hours screws me up. I just don't do well. So even if there's a day where I wake up and I'm hungry, which is rare, then I still kind of follow. I I really won't eat at, at all in the afternoon. Um, oh my goodness. You said so many things I want to touch on. Like, yeah, go for it. I am so in agreement with so many things. So I, I've always been a big dinner eater, uh, not a breakfast eater. I, I used to, I really just ate breakfast out of habit growing up or out of habit. And then out of thinking that I had to, because my metabolism was going to just die if I, <laughs> if I didn't. Um, but I've always been a really big, yeah, like a night eater. And so that's the way I started it. I, I mentioned the the crazy rotisserie chicken ness. That was my thing. Co- that was my thing too. When you said that, I used to get we get a cooked chicken and a friend and I would pick it apart. I'd eat all the dark meat, heat all the oh, white meat. So good. It's so good. Yeah, like eat everything. Oh, so good. Um, so that's how I started with the intermittent fasting. And really that's I haven't I've changed majorly in what I eat, but as far as eating late at night, I do best with dinner still. And I, and I tend to eat really late because I find that, um, 
I find once I start eating my productivity, because I get into the, this really like in the zone moment with intermittent fasting that's just so amazing. And then once I, and there's so many things I like need to do. And then once I eat, it kind of like turns me off. It's like, okay, time to, time to relax, time to calm down. So I typically end up eating, I mean, it varies, but I usually start eating somewhere around eight or even like nine, like I'm a late eater. And then I will just, I'll eat my main meal, which tends to be a lot of like fish and um, some vegetables. I I tend tend to do a low FODMAP approach, which minimizes digestive issues. And um, then I'll kind of snack until bed. I like having fruit at dessert. I find pineapple works really well for me, but it ends up being about similar to you, probably about like a four hour window or so. Um, what time are you going to bed? I'm a late, I'm a late person. I'm a late, uh, no, that's okay, but this is great. No, cause this, this will correspond to the eating. So when do you usually like yeah, fall asleep? So usually, I mean like one or two. All right. So that makes sense. I mean a little bit, cause that's no totally different than someone starting to eat at six and then they're going to bed at 10, right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you're switching that a little bit later than a normal, win- you know, normal dinner, whatever. Um, that's interesting. That's, that's, that's pretty late, but you know what, again, it's working with the circadian rhythm of how you've managed that sleep cycle. Yeah. You know, that's something that, okay. Because I'm always, even though I, I find what works for me, I love what you said about how we change and what works for us changes. I agree completely. Um, and even though I find what works for me, I'm still always researching and reading things and then questioning things. So especially like talking about the circadian rhythm, I always have this idea in my head, like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I should be doing a more conventional circadian rhythm. But I actually, I read a study the other day that was talking about how it's not so much the, that we all have to be the same circadian rhythm and we all have to be, you know, morning people, but it's more maintaining, maintaining the same circadian rhythm for you. So even though I'm going to bed crazy, crazy late, I'm still doing the same circadian rhythm pretty consistently. Right. With your sleep and wake cycle. And so, yeah, no, that's interesting. Also too, you know, speaking of changes. So one of the things recently is I'm like, gosh, you know, the, the only problem with this eating window that I have is that, and you have a, you have a whole part in a chapter on this, which is the social concerns. And not that I give a crap if anyone cares whether I'm eating with them or not, but it's just more fun because people, the earliest I can get people to probably go to eat is like, I've got a couple primal friends who I can get to go to dinner at five o'clock, <laughs> which, is, which is really early. But usually it's like six thirty seven or something. Most people want to eat dinner. And for me with my activity and everything that I'm doing with my sleep-wake cycle, like it feels like I'm pushing it, but I, I want to try to, you know, hack it where I can do it so that I can have my main meal then. Cause sometimes that, or just on those days and be able to work it better because it is more fun sometimes to do it with everyone. But then there's moments where I know I have to eat and it needs to happen now. And I'm going to need to have that piece of protein now. And so maybe later for dinner, I'm not going to, and maybe that's when I have the salad. But again, it's like, I don't want to go against what my body's saying. So it's interesting, you know, I'm even trying to hack it where like, what do I do on those days where I'm meeting people at dinner for 630? Like I've got to figure out a way to work that where I can still enjoy having that big main meal, but I'm not dying until then. You know what I mean? And and let's get into the social stuff because- there's a lot of like, I've heard stuff like, oh, really? Because one, one time someone says like, really? 6.30 is too early for you <laughs> or too late for you or something. And uh, I was like, no, it's just, you know, people get offended by the fact that you're not sharing a meal with them. And, and we get that, you know, it's breaking bread. I've talked about it with the doctor on my show, but at some point, and I'm sure you've had this too, you got to do what you got to do for you. And that doesn't mean you can't hang out with your friends. You're likely going to have way more energy to be hanging out with people. It's just that You've got to get away from that social construction of having to have a meal with, right? So talk to us about some of the social stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah. Cause that really is the main thing, but it's it, wait, really quickly. That's so funny. So we kind of have the same, the same, not problem, but for me, I'm, <laughs> I'm always wondering if I should have an earlier window because I won't be hungry that early. So right. it's like, the, it's like the exact same problem as you, but the reverse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, maybe we can meet in the middle somewhere. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, so as far as the social aspect goes, oh, it's so huge. I honestly think with intermittent fasting, that's probably the most difficult aspect of it. Because once you get used to being a fat burner and being metabolically flexible and just really rocking the fasted state during the day, it's it's really effortless. So that's not the problem. It's the way people respond. So many things that you said. And I actually, um, so I self-published the book in 2014. So the version that's out right now is through a traditional publisher, but I originally self-published it and it got a great response. But one of the main things that people had the most questions about was the social aspect. And that's something that I've dealt with as well. I love what you said, even though it's not a good thing, but people get really offended if you don't partake in, especially situation, any situations really where there's food it's like you have to be eating like, (laughs) and if you're not, um, you're somehow offending people. So in the book, I, um, in the new version, I have a whole very, very lengthy section where I go into all of just what I've learned with the social aspect and how to quote deal with (laughs) people who get offended. And, um, yeah, so there's there's just so much there. But th- the main takeaway for me is that you have to do what makes you feel good and you have to realize that what you put in your body and when you put in your body, it really shouldn't affect other people's reactions. And that's something that is beyond your control. So I really just suggest that people understand that but then also understand why people react the way they do. And then having that an understanding of where that's coming from, I think is really helpful. Um, but yeah, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of tips and tricks and things like that, but definitely the social aspect is, uh, it can be rough. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to say on that note too, you know, so some people, depending on what you're dealing with health wise or whatever, you know, if things are already screwed up because something's going on behind the scenes that's messing with cortisol or blood glucose and intermittent fasting is daunting or after a while it doesn't kick in and and you're not fat adapted and somehow it's painful. Don't do that. There's other ways to lightly do intermittent fasting. Like for example, you know, still giving the digestive system a break, but having a cup of bone broth with some collagen or a little bit of butter or, or having a little bit of an avocado, it's a little bit of food, but not really food, food. You know I mean? It's, 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 you could, you could dose yourself into it or while you're trying to get out of or help something, if intermittent fasting isn't right for you, then you can tweak it and hack it a little bit. I mean, obviously the key and the point is to be fully fasted, but I guess I'd ask you about that. Are there, are you, what are you doing throughout the whole day? Is there water? Is there coffee? Is there tea? Is it's like, what, what else is happening at all before your nightly main meal and a couple of glasses of, uh, you know, Merlot or whatever. You know, whatever. Vino. <laughs> yeah, vino. Um, so it's, it's obviously always changing cause I'm always experimenting with different things, but right now I basically do like a tiny, tiny, and I'm, I'm talking tiny bit of coffee. Once I wake up, I'm a, I got my genetic testing done. Have you, have you had that done before? Like the genetic? Yes. And I have like a high tolerance for processing caffeine, which makes sense. Okay. I'm so jealous. (laughs) Um, no, basically I'm super slow caffeine metabolizer. So I have like a little bit and I'm, I'm good to go. So I'm at the point where (laughs) I make a cup of coffee for the week. And then I um I keep it in the fridge and I'll have like <laughs> that a is food. the most economical coffee drinker I've ever heard of. In my I life. know, I know. It's uh, and I buy the actually I buy the the bulletproof brand of coffee uh, for the the mold free version. But um, <laughs> for yeah, because I'm really sensitive to, to hey, mold. Hey, let's put a shout out to Dave Asprey on that. One. <laughs> I know, I know. So, bulletproof, yeah. uh, so I do drink that, but I'll, I'll I make a cup basically for the week, keep it in the fridge and then I'll have like a spoonful and that is enough to get my brain started. And, um, that actually lasts me. The only other thing that I do during the day, um, I'm trying to minimize. Do you drink water? Oh yes. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. Water, water all day, water all day. And then there's like a supplement here or there that I might be experimenting with if that counts. But, um, yeah. And then as far I like what you said about how you can have a little 
like some people can have something here or there to like you were, you were speaking about like um, a little bit of avocado or something like that. I mean, for me, I find that if I do have something that it really turns off like my fasting's in like mm-hmm. completely, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find something that would work so I can maybe play around with my hours a little bit. But um, I do know there are proponents of fasting who do like fruit during the day if they don't get like crazy hypoglycemic, which um that can affect a lot of people's blood sugar levels or you, or like the the fats and the nuts. But for me, I'm a I'm an all or nothing. So I I don't really have anything until I eat. But I I do love breaking my fast with bone broth. I think that's an awesome time to have the bone broth for me. Nice. And you know what? Here's the thing too. I know this is <laughs> but so no longer a food addict or a sugar addict, which is just like freedom of no other kind. It's amazing. Other than probably getting out of prison for up to 20 years or something. Um, being in that freedom of not at all thinking about food, but still the idea of it is so much more fun. Like, okay, let's think about that awful crappy paradigm of like eat every two, three hours, keep your insulin steady. Oh my God, all these tiny little portions, such BS. It is so much more fun to sit down and have like a three, four hour evening. You know what I mean? It's just such a great leisurely like experience versus uh, jamming something in or only being able to have a certain munch because the net like balancing that. You know what I mean? It's just more fun. I don't know. As like an eater who loves to eat, that is a, a great thing. And, and then to not think about it at all the rest of the time is also an amazing thing. No, it's so wonderful. And that's one of the big, that's one of the things I actually emphasize in the the social aspect is because when, if you're fasting during the day, people have a tendency to freak out. They're like, why are you not eating? You know, you need to eat every, like you said, every three hours for your metabolism, which is miserable at least for me. So not true. (laughs) But, um, that's one of the things that I say in the book is emphasize the fact that you do love to eat. And that's the reason it works so well is I, I do love food and there is just something so wonderful about just being able to eat every night and eat all the things. Well, I mean, all the things for my paleo, (laughs) my paleo sphere. Um, but just like you said, just not worrying about restriction, not worrying about calories, not worrying about anything and just being able to eat and have a nice, long, luxurious meal. Uh, It's just, it's the best. And you lose weight. I mean, it's just the best of both worlds and you maintain effortlessly. So, yeah. And I mean, that's sort of too, in a lot of ways, like reminds me of so, so European to have this like long dinner, this, you know, everyone's sitting around the table for hours and stuff like that. I'd rather uh, have that experience to the full enjoyment and have the fasting during the day. I don't know. Yeah. The window or there's that, like you said, that long luxurious meal is just, it's so worth it. Cause it feels like an indulgence then every time. Yet when you're on the other paradigm, it's like, you'd have to then suffer one day knowing you're going to go to some five-star restaurant. You'd have to be like, uh, all right, I can't eat all day. And then you can't eat all day. Head, like, you know, and you'd be like a total mess, <laughs> total mess. and you'd probably get fat from that five-star meal. Um, no, it's really interesting. So let's talk about the wine aspect. Let's get into, obviously you're a wine drinker. I'm not, but listen, a lot of people are, it's something that can, depending on the wine you drink, but in general can scientifically make people crave things they otherwise wouldn't, or kind of go in a bad direction with food choices. Um, but you know, aside from the debate on whether it's good for you or not, because there are even for me, it's inflammatory, but for people in general, it's considered anti-inflammatory. There are, there are considered benefits. So again, it's what works with you, but what, how did you find this? Like, cause was it ever an issue with then you had to not enjoy it? And then you could at one point, like give us your background with including this and how it's important to you. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a, definitely a wine appreciating family. My dad is, is a huge, <laughs> he's a huge wine snob. So there was always wine around. And once I, so I started drinking wine and it was, so I was doing, let me backtrack a little. So I, I, I did the low carb and I did the, the paleo, then I did the intermittent fasting and I was having the wine still in my window. And I felt like that was my one, my, my cheat or my, like you said earlier, my vice. And I felt bad about it, but the more I thought about it, um, I started doing research and I realized that like, like you said, it really is individual, but 
if you just look at the health aspects and you look at like the correlational studies and epidemiological studies, most of the longest lived populations in the world have adequate or moderate wine consumption in their diet. And I started to start doing more research and realizing that, you know, this definitely has a place in my personal lifestyle and there are health benefits to it. And mindset is so huge and key. Um, and, key. and so I really felt like it, I didn't need to see it as a vice. Um, I mean, I don't go crazy. I don't drink like a bottle of wine a night. I actually now just drink about, now I'm like drinking like half a glass or a glass or so. But um, I definitely think it can work for a ton of people. And in the book, I go into like all the details about alcohol metabolism and wine and the benefits and, you know, who should, who can benefit and who might need to be more, more careful. And, but I definitely think if it works for you and it makes you feel good and you're not seeing negative, negative um, effects from it, that there's definitely a place for it in a healthy lifestyle. Well, and I also think too, and you uh, I'd love you to touch on this. I mean, I wonder about your experience through all the, you know, like the different biohacking and all the levels of to where you've gotten to now, because I'm obviously you weren't always on this paradigm. Um, was wine ever not working in the old paradigms and it works better now with this one, you know, because clearly you're sharp and you're in Zen mode all day long and you're on fire in your brain. So clearly whatever you're having at night, you know, with your meal is not affecting you negatively at all. So there, there are a few things to, uh, to touch on. Well, first of all, a huge thing I've realized is the type of wine really, and the quality really, really matters. So, uh, so much, like I can't, <laughs> oh, it's so frustrating. Yeah. I mean, and look, the primal blueprint, we, you know, we love, I, I was going to say dry and, firm wines. Yeah. Like, yep. <laughs> we actually had, um, Todd White on our podcast as well, the intermittent fasting podcast. But it's it's very, very frustrating because wines, especially in the US, with all the legal regulations, it's so frustrating that there, there's no labels on wines and people don't realize that there are so many things in conventional wines, especially like I said in the US, that people can be reacting to. So we're talking like, you know, colorizers and added sugars and just so many, so many things. So I think a key aspect, if you're including wine in your lifestyle and you, you want to be, like you said, <laughs> still sharp during the day, A, you need to find the right amount that works for you, but B, you need to be consuming or- organic wines. Um, I preferably, I mean, also like European wines tend to be better, but you, re- I really encourage people to do their research and to find those wines that are organically produced and don't have the additives. And then also that like we were talking about dry farm wines and I'm sure your listeners are, I mean, I don't know how much, how often it comes up on the podcast. Well, Todd's been on with Mark and, you know, we, we do a lot of, you know, cross, you know, promotion with them because we love them. In fact, they come to Mark's parties at his house and uh, we love that whole team. They're just like, honestly, some of the best employees I've ever seen in a company <laughs> ever. Like, I love that whole group of people so much. They're so much fun. But it's interesting because I do not, um, I, I rarely drink wine, but occasionally I'll take sips of pe- what people are doing and see what's going on. Not a red wine person. So if there's a choice and I ever do it, it's going to be like white wine or dessert wine or something like that. But I wouldn't do red wine. There are some red wines in the past that made me sneeze right away. Now, that's a totally different story of what's going on there. But in general, just not a red wine person. But I did actually have a full glass of red wine from Dry Farm Wines recently, like a couple weeks ago, because a friend of mine signed up who's a wine drinker. And so I just tried it. And while I liked I mean, it was it was good. I was like, oh, I can see how people with red wine would like love this glass of wine. I also then did have a moment the next day where honestly, any other just one glass of wine would have effed me up. And that sounds crazy (laughs) to maybe people listening, but you're talking to someone who literally maybe has one glass four times a year of anything. Okay. Like literally. So for me, a glass is like, yeah, you know what I mean? (laughs) It's like a lot and it's fun and it's interesting. It's great, but I enjoyed it, but I didn't have any after effects and I did notice that. And I was like, oh my gosh, what everyone's saying about them is true. You know what I mean? Um, because I actually experienced it with one of their wines that I didn't feel what I totally would have felt with any other glass. Yeah. It's crazy. Once you make the switch, you will never go back. And like we're talking about dry farm wines, which 
I absolutely cannot advocate enough. I, I love them. I actually, when I first reached out to partner with them for the book and the podcast and everything, they s- sent me like the, um, the sample, like 12 bottles. And it was, oh, it was such a moment. <laughs> I was like, this is wonderful. Um, but for, that's great. It's like Christmas. I know. It's like, yeah. Uh, but for listeners, I mean, that, that, that's an amazing route, but also you can find like organic wines, even at like, you know, Trader Joe's or Whole Foods that are more affordable for daily drinking as it were. But it's so true that once you make that switch, you can really, really realize the difference. And if you are still reacting, like you said, it's uh, earlier, uh, it's probably uh, another issue, likely histamine or just alcohol processing in general. But um, yeah, big, big, big importance there, big difference. And I actually, I only drink, I mean, not only drink wine, but I don't drink any other um, alcohol anymore. Just, just the wine. So <laughs> just with the wine. Well, that the book's not what, when vodka. It's not. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> let's talk about how critical it is almost now that you know, and I know how important it is to do IF and be fat adapted or keto and be an actor and be on set. Yes. Um, because I had an experience, I'll jump in here and just, uh, I did, I was on Brooklyn nine, nine, a couple years ago and thank God I was fat adapted because I knew that it was going to be a debacle of a story with whatever food situation they were going to have for us. And either way, it's another thing here. Didn't want to deal, right? Don't want to get food on my lipstick, makeup, whatever, breath, everything. Like you just don't want to deal with that when you are focused on being on a television show, for Christ's sakes. Anyone listening can understand that, right? I mean, just that alone. It's like, I don't want to have to deal with going over and having to eat or practically passing out because food's not ready or whatever. And I remember that morning, I just had some fat, like a fat coffee kind of situation. And I had to be there at, I don't know, 9.30, Didn't leave till 4. Went home. Fine. On fire the whole time. Didn't even need to look at food. Wasn't tempted. And I thought, Oh my gosh, every actor has to become fat adapted. <laughs> no, that is so true. Especially because set days can be so long. Like, like we're talking, you know, 15 hours sometimes. And um yeah. and it's funny, you 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 see the people, like everybody's energy just kind of starts dwindling and then you know they have to eat and we 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 have to have lunch or whatever. And then um and then it's ironic because people eat and they're temporarily they're temporarily energized, but then I feel like people enter food com- food comas <laughs> right after. Yeah, and so it's it's That's just when booms get dropped. No I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> people are like dying. Um, and well, especially on set, like with like craft surfaces for uh, people who are unfamiliar, they'll they'll often have just. I mean, it's like it's like buffet, crazy luxury food. I mean, there's there's food everywhere on sets. A there's huge meals. And then there's also just like with craft services, there's just snacks and food, food everywhere. And yeah, if you, when you're in that cycle of just needing to constantly eat, you're just in this, it's not good for energy and you're constantly craving. And it does, like you said, it, it makes you, um, less like, like with makeup and all of that stuff. It's just, it's just something you don't need to deal with. And, um, yeah, so I find it absolutely wonderful for being on set. Um, it's amazing. And then also I don't have to worry as much about, because I mean, I'm, I'm very in, <laughs> intense when I, um, when I stick with my paleo foods and I, I react strongly to additives and things like that. And, and as we know, gluten is basically everywhere. It's just everywhere. And it's just everywhere. So there's also that, that safety net of intermittent fasting where you don't have to worry about, you know, the, um, having to eat and then having to worry about additives, having to worry about gluten, having to worry about all the things. It's just, it's just very freeing. So yeah, it is really freeing, even though, again, you've got to get beyond some of the social hurdles, the social constructions around mealtimes and all these things we've talked about, you know, a lot of this, a lot on the show and I'm sure yours. Um, What else, you know, who's this book for? What could we gain from it? It's wonderful. It's so laid out well. And there's so it's, it's so well written. Um, but tell us, you know, what would you like to impress upon our audience about, um, why they should jump into this way of life? Yeah, sure. So the book, honestly, it works for everybody. It's, (laughs) you don't have to be one specific type of person for it to work because I'm such 
a believer in, you know, what we're eating, the type of foods we're eating, and then when we're eating them, it, it can, it benefits everybody. And I find that some people start with the what aspect. So they start with food quality and then they move to intermittent fasting or they start with the intermittent fasting and then they end up moving to food quality. But it's, it's very interesting that once you do one of them, that you tend to gravitate towards the other as well, because you just start, you just start realizing how food makes you feel and how, when you eat, it makes you feel. And it just goes so like perfectly together. So it works, works for everybody. Um, but then I do also have like in the book, I do have a section for like certain types of people, uh, the, uh, the book, the book industry people, they were like, we need to have, you know, sections where, you know, we, we break it down into types because people like types. So, um, I do have a section where I, I speak to certain types of people. So, you know, if you love traveling, there's a a traveler section. If you're a big gym person, I do have a section on integrating exercise and everything like that, especially because people get worried that they think they need to fuel their exercises with actual food. Whereas, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's another load of BS and Mark Sisson and I were talking about that as well, which is, you know, because my question to him was, is the world is confused because trainers in order to go, all right, so you got to like have a banana or a carb up before you work out. Then afterwards you eat protein within an hour, your muscles, like all these stupid rules that are only meant for catabolizing sugar burners, really. So if you're on that paradigm, I guess you have to follow it. But when you get to this one, there are no rules. In fact, it's probably better that you don't after workout eat for a while if you can. And that's a good sign if you don't have to for a while after yeah. workout, that is an excellent sign. Um, segueing into what is your exercise life? Okay. (laughs) So I, you're like, you're like pulling the glass of wine from the table to my mouth. (laughs) Well, red red wine is an exercise mimetic. I could go into that a little bit, (laughs) but, um, for the actual, actual exercise. So back in my crazy dieting days, I was going to the gym, which, Oh, I could talk about that for hours. It it is just really crazy that people think that they can out exercise a bad diet. You know, like that that if you're gonna go on um the treadmill for 30 minutes, that that somehow makes up for. I, it, it's not a good way to lose weight. It, it doesn't teach your body to burn fat. It oh, there's just so much I could say. But <laughs> so basically, when I would I used to see exercise in my dieting days as a a way to burn fat, even though it wasn't really working. And it was a quota to fill. So like I needed to exercise, I need to quote exercise a certain amount of minutes per day in order to, you know, lose weight in order to be a good person in order to be healthy. Now I've, my paradigm has shifted completely. I'm, um, I'm actually much more a fan of movement now. Whereas before I would, you know, kind of sit all day and then go to the gym. And that was my, my movement. Now I'm constantly wanting to move. I don't make a concentrated effort to go to the gym usually, but I just see life as movement. And I think movement is so vital. So I am constantly moving, like we're recording this podcast right now. I'm standing, I'm constantly, um, yeah, just keeping in flux and something I talk about in the book and it's sort of becoming a thing because I talk about it on our, our, my podcast, the intermittent fasting podcast a lot. I, so for the past like five years or so, have you ever worn war, uh, wearable weights, L? Oh, you mean like the Velcro strap around your ankle kind of situation? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do know of that. <laughs> so came, uh, came on the scene in the 1980s. I yeah. So, uh, let's bring those back. Um, (laughs) so basically when I'm at my apartment or doing, you know, doing errands, doing like laundry, vacuuming, I, I put wrist weights on and I put ankle weights on. I started, like I said, started doing this about five years ago. How heavy, how heavy were we talking? So I use, um, I used to use heavier ones, but now I use like, like the one pound ones on my wrists. And actually the one pound ones on my, my ankles as well. But I used to use like the three pound ones on my ankles, but, and I actually used to do a weighted vest as well when I first started, but I don't do that anymore. Um, I'm like, you're a Navy SEAL. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but, um, I, it's, it's so great. It's like 
the perfect hack because it makes daily life and everything that you're doing, I I call it functional exercise because it makes everything that you're doing automatically a weight bearing exercise without you having to even like realize it. And they've done studies on the, um, the perceived weight of, of, um, exertion and the studies are conflicting. So I will say that. So some of the studies find that people, um, do feel like that they need to do put in more effort, but then other studies find that wearing the weights, people don't feel like they have to do more effort for it. So you actually end up building muscle, burning more calories without even meaning to. And, um, I've actually done research into how it can reset your set point because it basically, if you wear them a lot, like I do, your body starts to think that you are basically a heavier weight. So it can increase your metabolism, which is pretty fascinating. But, um, yeah, that's my, that's my, that's my, that's some like NASA space. <laughs> wait, wait. That's I'm like <laughs> speaking of, I'm glad you said that speaking of, you know, I was saying like the exercise mimetic thing, um, <laughs> back to the wine. Oh yeah. Back to, back to the wine. So there are so many studies on the compounds in wine working like, like I said, like exercise mimetics. So basically they create effects in the body that are create effects similar to exercise. And, um, so like one of them is called PCetanol and the, 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 I bring it up because you were talking about the space. Um, they were trying to find a way to the researchers at NASA were trying to find a way to mitigate the negative sedentary effects of space life because, you know, you're up there for, you know, quite a while with in zero gravity and that's not good for your muscles at all. And, um, they found that this one compound in wine called, called PCetanol when they, in rat studies, and granted it is rats and it is rodents, not humans, they found that r- rats who were fed PCetanol and when they were put into a situation where they, um, it's really sad, they would hang the rats by their hind legs so that they weren't moving their, their muscles. Um, the rats that had the PCetanol actually maintained muscle mass, whereas the rats that didn't they atrophied and they lost it. So, um, yeah, that's a tangent, but, um, <laughs> they're compounds in wine as well. So, uh, oh, that was a lot. Interesting. So I like the, I like the ankle weight situation. That is. Oh uh, yeah. That's also, but you know what? I'm going to tell you this, my grandmother who lived a very long life, like died at 98. She, um, was so fit at the dance clubs at 85 in heels in a suit, like dancing her ass off. And like legendary people are like, Oh my God, she was so young and amazing. But her thing was when she was at home and back in the day, this is all she had. She would like turn on MTV and like, just have the ankle weights on and be kind of like walking around for a while as she was doing stuff or do, you know, chores or whatever. And, you know, she'd kind of just dance around and kind of move around with ankle weights. And she was, you know, so fit. And also that's something you can just do. Look, sometimes you know, winter it's freezing or sometimes, sometimes where I live in, it's 110 for a month. And you're like, Oh my God, you cannot go outside at any point during the day. <laughs> like, you know, it's nice to just have an in-home kind of thing. That doesn't mean you have to stare at a video, right? You know, you can just go clean your house and mop your floors and do whatever you got to do and cook a dinner with some ankle weights on <laughs> um, and start getting used to it. You know? So I love that. No, I love it. You can, you can make life exercise. It, it's so wonderful. And then also I'm sure you're familiar with um, like meat non-exercise, what is it? Non-exercise, wait, non, now I can't remember what it, wait, hold on. Non-exercise, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. But basically it's all of the movement that we do during the day that um, isn't quote conscious exercise. So not going to the gym, not, you know, going on your marathon. Um, That it's what you were speaking about with your grandmother that it's um that radically affects metabolism and quote calories burned so it's things like dancing just even like talking laughing moving i mean it's all little things we do and it's so crazy i mean that a whole other thing we talk about is um how cal- quote calories are used in the body it's so crazy to think that we can that we know how a certain food, how, how many quote calories, like how that will, 
how that's processed in the body. I mean, there's so many factors that go in and it says nothing as to our metabolic rate. It says nothing as to how our body processes food or treats those calories. Um, and they actually find that I was talking about that neat thing. They find that people's metabolism based on all this activity that we're doing that we're not even really realizing as an activity, um, it can account for up to, in some studies, up to a thousand calories, quote, burned per day, just by differences in these little movements that we do. So fidgeting, laughing, um, all the things. So yeah, so basically you can just make your life, your life is movement, your life is exercise and you don't have to make it hard. But I do want to say, if you're a gym person and that's your thing, totally keep doing it. I mean, if that's your thing, do it. I'm not trying to say don't go to the gym. I just think that there needs to be a different understanding of of movement and how energy is used and processed in the body. And I go into major, major detail in all of that in the book. It's fascinating. Um, it's it's all really fascinating and it's so great your your journey with this book, but also the information provided and how clearly it is laid out and so easy to follow. And like you said, it's for everybody because one will lead to the other or the other. You just got to start somewhere though and um, got to clean it out and step it up. And it's worth trying. It's worth everyone trying this at some point um, from obviously a good standpoint. But let's, uh, so wait a minute, you have also a blog and a podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So I've um, mentioned the podcast a few times. So that is the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. And um, I co-host that with Jen Stevens. She wrote a book called Delay, Don't Deny, which is about the um, it's about the one meal a day lifestyle. But we co-host, co-host that podcast. We obviously initially started it to make it mostly about intermittent fasting, but we end up now we cover we cover so many topics and we get so many listener questions. It's just, I, it's crazy. It's overwhelming. I'm like, I, I, things I wouldn't even think about, but we, um, we cover tons of all the fasting questions, all the food questions. And it works really well because I, so I'm like a, a very, I I follow my own personal, very strict paleo approach, but like you said, you got to find what works for you. And that, that's actually the takeaway of my book is, is finding what works for you within a healthy whole foods paradigm. Um, but the podcast works well because Jen actually like she eats whole foods, but she's more slightly more lenient and doesn't do like paleo or anything like that. So we can, we provide a nice, I think, um, perspective for listeners. Um, so that's that podcast that's on iTunes and, um, you can also go to ifpodcast.com and we, we stream it there as well. It's on Podbean, but I mean, iTunes is the main way to go. And then my blog is melanieavalon.com. And that's where I write all of my epically long research. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, I'm just crazy. I, I wrote one. I wrote one the other day and it told me I, 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 there's this one random reach your limit. <laughs> well, I found this one website where it would tell you like how long it'll take you to read the, um, read the post. And based on word count, I guess. And I mean, it was something like, I don't even remember, but it was, I mean, it was over an hour and I was like, oh gosh, like, how am I going to edit this if it takes me an hour to, to read it? But, um, yeah, so I, that's where I go into great detail on just all the things that strike my fancy. (laughs) It ends up being obviously a lot of paleo things, a lot of fasting, a lot of wine things, but then it's also, I'm just fascinated by so many things. So the gut microbiome, so many posts on that. Um, I have a ton on, I've mentioned like, um, digestional stuff because, um, ever since I got food poisoning about eh, four years ago or so, I just really sparked a, uh, a journey, mm-hmm. a journey, a journey, a journey. So gut health is so key. So I do, I have a lot of blog posts about gut health, also, uh, genetics and just, I mean, so many things. So that's all at uh, melanieavalon.com. And we will put all of your social media links and all of your website links in the show notes. Love your enthusiasm. Love your enthusiasm for continually biohacking and sharing also this one meal a day situation because it it's sort of how things turn out a lot of times with keto. And it's sort of how just it's pretty, uh, it's pretty ancestrally aligned too. You know, that's it's, I'm sure you know of the book from uh, a while back, many years ago, called The Warrior Diet. It was a little bit of a similar, less hardcore, but 
similar concept of like, hey, you know, end of day, this is how we would have all just sat around the fire and enjoyed this large meal. You know, we wouldn't have been stuffing our faces throughout the day. It just, it seems more in line with how our brains work and how everything works. And um, so I really, I really hope people try more of this and what a better way than to listen to your podcast, get your book, What, When, Wine. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you for having me, Elle. I've I've been a huge fan of yours <laughs> for quite a while, ever since seeing you on different podcasts and different summits. And I just, I love your book, love your work. I love everything you're doing. And I love how we relate with the whole acting, <laughs> the whole entertainment industry needs health and food, fitness thing. So this has really been an honor. Oh, we're going to have, that's, that's, well, thank you. And also too, for our audience, yeah, we'll have to like IMDB Melanie Avalon occasionally and see what we oh. can see you in. <laughs> yes, perfect. Yay. Have a great day. Thanks again. All right. Thank you, Al. It's been wonderful. Thanks. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too it's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on. Oh yeah. On. She, so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have, uh, we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the, the ranch, um, the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> That's my pleasure.